Welcome to the Clayton Youth Safety Pod, a podcast series on safety issues in a pandemic world. I'm your host, Hilary Searing, a partner in the Workplace Relations Employment and Safety Team. Today I have with me Shay McCartney, who is the head of our national safety practice. I wanted to talk today about a really topical issue, uh, the no jab, no job, being the COVID vaccination. How are you, Shay? I'm good, Hilary. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for coming. The guidance material has been released on COVID vaccinations. It came out on Friday, the 19th of February, from both the Fair Work Ombudsman and Safe Work Australia. And that, in essence, has said that in most circumstances, it's unlikely that a requirement to be vaccinated will be um, either reasonably practicable or, or perhaps, you know, lawful and reasonable. This is a very divisive topic, Shay. Um, you know, we have had, you know, protests over the weekend from anti-vaccination, anti-vaxxers. We've had our Prime Minister on Sunday being one of the first people to have the vaccination. Where, you know, where do we sort of stand now with all this guidance material that's been released with the Ombudsman and Safe Work Australia coming out and saying that, you know, it's not mandatory at the moment and it's a voluntary program, essentially? Yeah, Hilary, look, I think it's fantastic that um, they have produced so much material and I think it is an incredibly vexing topic for employers. I mean, you think in your own friendship group you have people from, I guess, have very strong views on vaccinations to people who have very strong views um, the other way around and, you know, then the vast majority who sit in the middle and... For employers to have to try and get through that minefield, I think, is is incredibly difficult. And so I think it's a really good thing that they have provided such guidance. But I do think that it is still challenging for employers because, you know, they now have to still work their way through understanding their own company's level of risk. And does that change with the introduction of the vaccine? Does it does it do they have to revisit all their risk assessments if they can't mandate um, that people take a vaccination well can it actually even be used to control as a control I think all of that's really interesting Shay because I think where the to my mind the guidance material has left us is um, in a similar position to other vaccinations I guess you know for example the flu vaccination and other matters which aren't sort of mandated by any laws so at the moment we don't have you know the government mandating or the public any public health orders mandating the COVID vaccination that that might change I think that's been alluded to a lot by the the government and sort of that they might introduce it in some industries, but we, we don't have that at the moment. And so at the moment, we really are, I guess, where we were before, albeit with a lot of guidance, which is fantastic, but that we, we really just kind of left in that position where an employer is really going to have to look at the, their specific risks, their specific industry, and, and work out whether, you know, and I think that leaves us in a position, I guess, of is it reasonably practicable for us to require our employees to have this vaccination? Should we be encouraging the vaccination? Or, you know, the common law position, I think, about, you know, can we then issue, if we do decide that, can you issue someone with a lawful and reasonable direction to have that vaccination? And I think sort of, I don't know, where do you think that that leaves business? Yeah, well, I think um, as I understood and, and read the guidance material, and I think the Fair Work Ombudsman particularly is also talking about whether or not it 
maybe or that it would be somewhat unusual or unlikely that it would be a reasonably practicable direction the both the safe work guidance material and the and the sort of communications that have been issued seem to be very much predicated on the current level of risk and i think that employers need to understand the risk in their industry but also the risk of a particular job the particular genuine occupational requirements of that role but then also be ready to perhaps pivot is the <laughs> the, the word of that word. 2021 for for if that risk level changes and you know, if I look at the fact that, you know, I think that in many industries it would currently be an unreasonable direction, just putting aside whether it's a lawful direction, an unreasonable direction where there is no community transmission. That's a very different scenario than if you're in the UK perhaps where, you know, the, the level of risk or in, in America or in South Africa where the level of risk is incredibly high and you have people who might be um, undertaking roles where suddenly that becomes a lot more reasonable direction. So if you're in an industry or you have an occupation where that risk level is likely to be significantly impacted, then I do think you have to start thinking now about how will that change? What are the triggers that might change my decision about whether it's a reasonably reasonable uh, direction? And and also, I guess, you know, coming to the point of whether it's a lawful direction, we have to, it's, it's obviously not mandated, but, you know, surely the discrimination laws have got to impact on the lawfulness of any direction as well. Well, that, that's right, Jay. I mean, I think that at the moment we sort of have a situation where um, it, there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. We're not going to be able to sort of sit back as an employer and say, okay, well, this is, you know, the government's mandated this, you know, I have to do it and, and sort of sit back on that. I think we really are going to have to, um, as an employer, I think you're going to have to take a risk-based approach and look at your, your risk assessments. And I think that the guidance material and, and just the law, I think, is very clear that the vaccination is just but one of many controls that I think we are still all going to have to get used to and and, and, and continue with in our, in our lives, you know, because we have a situation where the social distancing, you know, the, the, the cleaning, the sanitising, the, the, the restrictions on how many people in lifts and all the things that I guess we've all become used to in, in that phrase, the, the new normal, which, which I hate. Um, but, you know, the, all of that, I think vaccination can only be one part of those controls. And, and, and you know, I think... And particularly if you can't have... 100% people vaccinated. Well, that's right. All it can be is a reduction in risk. It, you know, can't, it can't be a, a complete control. That's right. That's right. I, I think we just don't know um, as much about COVID. You know, it's still an evolving virus. I think the vaccination is evolving. And I think we, we have a situation where, you know, we still need to consider whether that's transmission in, in the business, whether that's, trans, you know, whether the virus, if you have the vaccination, that would protect, you know, you from still being able to transmit it within the business. And I think for that reason, I think the other thing is, even in terms of the rollout, we um, have a situation where we're having our frontline and our, you know, our, our most sort of 
vulnerable people being vaccinated first. It's a staged rollout to the vaccination. And I think the idea is that all of Australians will have been offered the vaccination, but by October this year is my understanding of the timing. So I think even from a business perspective, you know, from a controls perspective, even if you decide that this is one of your controls you're going to implement, you may not be able to have all of your workforce vaccinated before October. And I mean, I mean, how, how do you well, think that, that plays into your, your it risks? highlights that danger, Hill, absolutely, that if you say my control is the vaccination or one of the controls that we will use is mm. to have people vaccinated and you can't supply the vaccination and you can't mandate people are vaccinated, you're, you're really setting the business up to say, well, we can't ever deliver the control that we've put in our risk assessment is the primary control or even a critical control um, for dealing with this um, risk. So, you know, people have got to be really careful about not overplaying it. But if you So ask, one of many things that you correct. can do to help, right? Is yep. that, yeah. Yep. And, and I think you do have to revisit the level of risk based on what you know about the number of people who've been vaccinated and what you know about the vaccinations. Because obviously, if you have a large percentage of your workforce that are vaccinated, you have a good take up on, you know, if we get to the stage where we have workplace vaccination programs and they're being offered by employers like the flu vaccine, and we know that we've had a large percentage of our workforce vaccinated and we have information and evidence about the efficacy of that, those vaccines, well, that has to be something that we can take into account as what we know about a risk and that we can then perhaps reduce, not remove, but reduce some of those other controls. But we can't just do it in isolation in isolation, or as a knee-jerk reaction, fantastic, this is okay. We've got to, I think we've got to be really careful about building that case of what we know. But you asked me before, where do I think that leaves employers, apart from revisiting their risk assessments? Mm. I think the key thing is that if you think that in your workforce um, this is going to be a critical, critical issue for you as an employer – the strongest thing that you can do um, in the absence of a, a clear legal right to direct is to build that culture where people feel that it's the right thing to do within within the workplace. And, you know, if you look at the way our com community or the way our employment culture has changed in relation to the flu, you know, it used to be that presenteeism was the, the cultural norm yep. And now if someone comes to, you know, work with a sniffle, they're just about shouted out of the, of the workplace. I was workplace. just thinking about that the other day, actually, <laughs> how, um, you know, back in the day, everyone was soldiering on, you know, yep. um, and now if someone comes in, it's, it's a complete, you know, no, and, no. And I'm not saying we ostracise people who don't get the vaccine. Everyone, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that, of course, you know, it, it should be a place where people have a freedom of choice, you know, within those boundaries. But I'm just saying, you know, as we've seen the Prime Minister be the first person to take the vaccine, if the CEO is the first person to, you know, stand up and, you know, as you said, encouraging, incentivising, um, but they have their own legal risks too, depending on how far you go. So, you know, I think a carefully thought out plan as to how you're going to promote the vaccination is, is super critical. Um, but I did want to ask you in terms of that, what are your thoughts on 
that's what we're talking about existing employees what about new employees can we can we well I I was thinking there were some things that employers could be doing now right now while we're waiting for the rollout I mean unless you're in some of those priority industries you know aged care or or, you know frontline health workers and so on the chances are you're not going to have your employees vaccinated um, or even be able to be vaccinated up until mid of this year or even October and and you might want to be hiring people so so the the favorite ombudsman guidance and I think which reflects the law is that you can in you, you know you can contractually require people to undertake a vaccination program I mean there's discrimination and, and privacy issues which set aside for a second um, but you can actually contractually require people to undertake a vaccination and so I think that there's certain things employers could be looking at right now for prospective employees as we sort of start looking at our contracts and say well do we contractually start putting in a requirement for people to you know have to undergo a vaccination program if we want them to I think that that would just beef up your ability to to make those lawful and reasonable directions or even just be able to rely on a contractual right as opposed to having to issue that direction or you issuing the direction to comply with the contract yep. as opposed to you know at law at large um, I should say and the the other thing is um, you know making sure that that right is clear you know you can't I think if you had a, a if it's talking about the flu vaccination or other things it's not going to help you I think the, the you know you're really going to have to be clear in those requirements. And I, look, I agree with that. Particularly, the there is case law, obviously, as you know about um, whether you can require people to undertake, you know, flu vaccinations. But this this one does have to be considered of itself because it it has been developed in an abnormal way, and albeit that it's gone through um, rigorous testing and that you know they've obviously um, approved it for use and um, I think Australia's levels are you know perhaps some of the best in the world I think for our approval processes yes so you know I think all of that should give people a lot of comfort but there is a point as well about whether or not what people understand that means and what it means to them as yeah, well. I, I so think, I think I there's been some different. cases um, that I've personally been involved in, Shay, where we've had examples of employers encouraging the flu vaccination um, and, and somebody's ended up with a, an injury um, as a result of that that flu vaccination um, was a shoulder injury and they've ended up you know, sort of well, lodging... I was a, intrigued as to where, where the injury... Bursitis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it a fear of needles? Yeah. <laughs> like the run screaming from the room. No, that's my own <laughs> my own fear of needles. <laughs> um so I was going with psych injury, but <laughs> no, no, it's actual physical injury from from the flu vaccination, and they ended up um, taking their employer lodging a workers' compensation claim, um, and, and part of defending that was determining whether or not the employer had mandated that vaccination and required it, or or merely encouraged it. And so I think there are a lot of, I guess, legal risks that sit behind the mandating of any vaccination, you know, the, and, and the COVID one in particular. I mean, I think there's the potential for workers' compensation claims or civil liability claims. Um, there's also, you know, potential um, adverse action or unfair dismissal claims if we if we terminate someone's employment for for failing to follow what we say is a lawful and reasonable direction, and then it turns out that it, that it might not be. Um, and then we've got all the potential discrimination and privacy issues where you know somebody might say, you know, I I'm not having that vaccination for these reasons. Um, you know, health reasons or otherwise, and and somebody else or, doesn't or want to come into work, or religious reasons, and and then we, you know, we've taken this blanket, you know, policy. So, you know, I guess what I wanted to ask you, Shay, is whether you thought there was still room for employers to look at some of those specifics. Um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that there is no mandatory law requiring the vaccination, if you have some particular risks for your business or your industry. Uh, look, I think there is 
legal room for them too. I think whether the current circumstances of Australia at this time support it, you would need some pretty clear reasons to be. But, you know, I can easily think of the example of travel, which um, seems to me to be an obvious one if part of your role is to travel overseas and either um, the airlines mandate vaccinations Mm. and so you can't you can't travel if you don't have a vaccine or if just that because the travel is to a country that has a very high risk area that you may determine that it's that it's not an acceptable risk to send them there unless they have a vaccine Um, which is where I think you know it's really important to understand the distinction between current employees and giving them a reasonable lawful direction and then um, you know perhaps hiring new employees for a role and that role requires them to have the vaccine to be able to complete the genuine occupational requirements for that role yes and um, you know that's where the discrimination laws obviously would become um, you know they obviously have a part to play in the reasonable lawful direction as well but to my mind, there is a real piece around understanding, well, what are the actual genuine occupational requirements of the role? And coming back to what you said before about, well, what can you do now? You know, obviously the very specific contractual clause that says, you know, you may be directed to or you may be required to or you are required to be vaccinated is one issue. But I think the other is actually breaking down what are the genuine occupational requirements of the role and highlighting or making very clear those parts that may be impacted if, you, if you're not prepared to take a vaccine. So having some really good position descriptions or job descriptions that sort of highlight those aspects, I think that's what I'm hearing you. Yeah, yeah. and look, as we move into, I keep in my head calling it the post-pandemic world, and that might be just because I'm hopeful, <laughs> hopeful that that's where we will get to at one stage and I'll be able to call it the post-pandemic world. But in our current pandemic world and as we you know, hopefully progress to a post-pandemic world, um, I I think that most job design has to be looked at again because, you know, and I know in other podcasts we'll discuss flexible working arrangements, all those things, but jobs have changed and what's inherent requirement of the role now may be be very different from what it was 12 months ago. And the ability to issue some of these managerial responses to what is, you know, a unique and different world really depends on the clarity. But we've got the same laws, we've got the same employment laws to deal with those things. So unless you can break down those, how it actually connects to the employment aspect, it gets harder and harder. So, you know, I think it really is a critical time to pull out your employment contracts and your position descriptions and your policies. And I'm sure people are tired of employment lawyers <laughs> telling them that, but it's a bit like doing your homework or taking your vitamins. <laughs> Something you just got to do on a regular basis. That's right. I guess I wanted to talk about the the importance of being adaptable as well, because I think we're in a situation um, where we are now, where where we do have very low rates of community transmission in, in, in some spaces in Australia, we haven't had any cases of COVID, you know, for, for, for days. Um, and we're in the circumstances, I think, where we're, which is fantastic, don't get me wrong, but I think, I don't think the world is going long to... Long may it last. Yeah. Long may it last, exactly, not, yeah, touch wood. But the, the issue is, I think, that the world is not going to stay in this one spot. I think we, we're in a very um, lucky, probably well-planned position at the moment, but we are 
are at some point going to open up borders. We are at some point going to open up travel. We are at some point going to have to re-engage with the world. And I think for, from business perspective alone, that's a necessity. And so I think where does that leave us with, with the vaccination and with, you know, with our risk assessments and our controls? Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point, Hilary. And as we sort of traverse through this, certainly what I've seen is that the organisations who developed their risk assessments with multiple levels and multiple, you know, who had good plans as to what are the triggers for review or what are the triggers for an escalating risk, what are the triggers for a de-escalating risk, you know, when do we bring people back in, when do we... Um, send them back home home, and who could communicate to their staff the reasons behind those triggers and you know it goes back to what I was saying about culture before you know if if you've got an organization that understands that need to be flexible to be able to survive in what is now a very competitive and very challenging world then I mean I think people are going to get fatigued with the word adaptable in the same way that we're fatigued with the word pivot (laughs) and um but they're necessary I think they're very necessary words for a necessary concept um so yeah to my mind um it's a good time to review the risk assessments but also to be forward thinking now about, well, what what are our needs going to be in the future when things relax and things open back up again? And in what circumstances may we not be able to go to that next level unless we have a certain level of comfort about the efficacy of vaccinations? Looking at the FIFO um, example, you know, it might be the case that um, you just can't undertake a FIFO shift unless you have people all together who have been vaccinated because otherwise it's not a if, if that's the only control that's going to be effective because the level of risk is increased because people are coming in from overseas for example so it, it's too hard to now decide that all my FIFO workers I'm going to issue reasonable and lawful directions now if, yeah. if we haven't thought about that in the future so because the risk level at the moment for example is not is not that high etc so forward thinking about when is that risk level going to change and how do I create the environment now so that if I think that I'm going to have to be able to give those directions in the future, what are the triggers that will, whether it's an increasing risk level, whether it's overseas travel, whether it's um, mandated, you have to have a vaccination to travel on this type of transport or this this type of, to go through this country. or yep. um, Because I, th- I think you're right. I think different countries will have different rules about vaccinations. I think different airlines will have different mm. rules. And to my mind, I think if you even if we're if we're doing those kind of things, I think you also have to then consider what other controls might be available. You know, in the in the in the face of perhaps the person might not be able to have the vaccination for some reason. So, I mean, would we then be in a situation where we're sort of mandating our employees have to, you know, if you travel outside of Australia and you're going to these places, are you having to have two weeks in quarantine on you and you know before you're allowed back to work? You know, are you factoring that into your travel plans because that's what we're going to require before you come back to the office or so on? If so you're not vaccinated. If you're yeah. not vaccinated, so I guess there's you know a whole variety of factors there to consider. Look, I might wrap it up there, but some tips. I was thinking some tips for our listeners. <laughs> What's your hot tip? Um, well, they'll be they'll be tired of me saying it, but I'll say it again, which is that the first one has got to be revisit your 
first of all, the workforce planning, then the contracts, then the position descriptions, then the policies and procedures. And, you know, I think I think you have to go through each of them. Before all that, I'm hoping everyone's already revisited their risk assessments because we've been telling them to do yes. <laughs> in, in many um, <laughs> communications now. But, you know, um, that's got to be the critical piece. And I guess the third one is, for me, just going back to that cultural piece, which is to create a cultural environment where people understand the benefits of taking a vaccine for themselves and for the workplace and for they understand the why are we doing this, but then that is also inclusive and supportive of people who have to make their own choices for their own either religious you know for whatever their reasons are and you know that comes back to all all aspects of diversity of thought and you know we should have an environment where people are safe to to question those things but they will of course the more information people have the more they're able to make those choices well and you know so that would be my tip, I think, Shay, just to, to take your point there is is to make sure that as an organisation, as a business, you really are bringing people on the journey with you and you're giving them enough Absolutely. information to make those informed decisions, to make those informed choices and hopefully to build that culture. And the other last thing I would add is I think is that just to reiterate, I think that the, the vaccine, whilst amazing... It can't be the last thing. You must have three. It no, no. Three. <laughs> You've already had three. <laughs> You've already had three. I don't want to uh, over again. Uh, so last thing uh, is that I think the, the vaccination, it's got to be considered as just one of the many controls that can be available. It's an amazing thing, but I, I don't think it's a panacea for all of the issues that COVID brings with it. And I think it's just got to be considered in that context as, as one of an available suite of controls and, and, and considered in that way. So... But thank you very much for joining me today, Shay. I really enjoyed that. And thank you for for listening. If you'd like more information on any of these topics or to reach out, please feel free to go to claytonhoots.com.